it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> be prepared to, yeah, be told no and to be let down. And, you know, you have to know that not, nothing that anyone else can say to you should change your mind. Like if what they're saying to you is making you change your mind about what you're doing, then your mind is already changed. It wasn't them. It was you already knowing this certain thing. But there's, you know, there's just so much hard work. There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Hey, welcome to the Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show today. And today we have, we're fortunate to have Katie Cole. She's a singer, songwriter, recording artist, and a touring artist. So welcome to the show, Katie. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, now, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, just an overview, kind of uh, what you do? Well, I do a lot of things, as I was saying, um, just before we got started, I have a lot of hyphens to my name, but I grew up in Melbourne, Australia, and I i don't know if I could say I've fallen into um, these many career paths, but I've, I've always been a songwriter. Um, I've always loved to play live, even in Australia, I used to play five, six, seven nights a week as my day job at night. Um, but I suppose that should have been one of those signalling, uh, I suppose, beacons of... Uh, knowledge I should have paid attention to that that's where my career would sort of really progress forward but I'm a recording artist I put out music but I'm also a touring musician in the iconic rock band the Smashing Pumpkins and that's taken me to well everywhere. And so when and how did you get started in music? I grew up in a ridiculously musical family I mean I want to say like ridiculous in caps <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense um my my mom was uh, she always sang and, and she played piano and she was you know a trained pianist and my dad was a trained uh, classical vocalist and pianist as well and like I, once I've gone through the generations of my family I've gone like oh there's a singer and there's a dancer there and I remember scrambling through photos at my mom's place and pulled out this amazing old photo of, I think it was her great grandfather and his brothers. And they're all like, it's like one of those really old, oldie timey photos of like, oh. everyone's playing a cello. And it's like, oh, wow. it was, I mean, I'm, that's the long way of putting that there's a lot of musicians and artists right down my family sort of history, but I grew up with it and sitting around the piano singing and my mum sitting me and my sister down at, you know, whatever before we were teenagers and making us watch Woodstock and things like that was not unheard of in my household. So I got started before I got started. And as a professional, I started um, playing live music at around 15, 16, and I just continued onwards. Okay. Do you remember any particular thoughts as you're watching Woodstock or any of that old footage? I remember some of the stuff, like some of the stuff during like Isle of Wight and things like that. I was like, my mom is, she's like an old hippie. So she loves a lot of rock music. So I got most of the classical stuff from my dad's side of the family and all the rock stuff from my mum's side and I remember really liking Hendrix and Janis Joplin and you know I I suppose it was yes a lot of the 60s and 70s rock um, was a big part of my childhood but I was exposed to so much music and you know watching you know extraordinary musicians play like extensive solos or guitar solos or whatever during a concert it just was normal <laughs> like to sit down and be like 
like I think my first um, musical that my mum brought me and my sister to was like Hair mm. and I was like I think I was nine <laughs> and I'm like I'm like okay there's a, a you know now I'm later in life I'm like I'm like oh, there was probably a lot of drug references in that too so. <laughs> but not all kids get to do that not all kids get to do that but but I I it was just part of the norm and I suppose I was assumed that everyone else did the same until you know obviously until I was older and was like oh no this has kind of been my very long apprenticeship to being a musician myself so that early on, were you already thinking this is what I'm going to do in life? Like, was it a choice or what, did it just naturally happen? I don't think anybody, dis- I mean, maybe they do, but I don't think anyone decides I'm going to play like giant arenas around the world <laughs> at a young age. I think I, I always loved music and I don't think it became a conscious decision. It only became a decision when... I realized I was already doing because I was again I was already playing like as a professional being paid to be in venues while I was in high school and it was just a matter of continuing on and what else could I do and the more I sort of realized that the more I could take on the more I you know I didn't really I suppose I didn't really set a lot of um, high standards for myself or I didn't raise the bar particularly high I mean I came from a relatively low-income family and you know nobody had you know, a lot of education. It was just like, well, you know, as long as I sort of got by and, and did what I did, and my mom was always like, as long as you're happy, then that's great. And I just continued on doing what I was doing and just doors opened. And when I realized that sometimes you have to sort of make your own door or, you know, kick open a window, you can do that too. And that's also a way to get sort of through. But yeah, it just was, I suppose it was organic in a way, but at some point it became a conscious decision when I realized there's nothing else that. I want to do and there's nothing else that I'm as good at, I suppose. Okay. Uh, do you know what age you were when that transition happened? It was between nine and 14, obviously. But um, I really, I mean, I couldn't say. Like I, my, my sister used to go to a musical high school and I went to like a normal one. We both sort of grew up as musical people. I always thought like, she, cause she was like the lead singer and I'd, I'd always sing like the background vocal parts to like her <laughs> stuff when we were younger. and. Like now I can look back and go, well, it, it sometimes takes more skill or more learning, I suppose, um, to play, a, I don't know, play a sort of a side musician role. And I, 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 again, that's all this sort of unconscious training, I suppose, I've had. If I'd known at the time I would end up doing these things, I would have paid way more attention. Um, <laughs> but like I taught myself piano at, I think, 11 or 12 and taught myself some you know, classical musical pieces by ear and, you know, nobody told me like, that's kind of not normal, you know, <laughs> but, you know, you, you take on these things and it was always, ju- I suppose it's just in your genes in a way. Um, uh, I just, yeah, I suppose I, I clicked at a, at a young age as a you know, young teenager. And when I started doing it as a profession, even then it wasn't like a conscious decision of I'm going to do this for my career. It was just something I am doing. And it just it continued on. So, did you ever take any classes or get any instruction, or were, you were all self-taught? I, well, I had to take some singing lessons in um, a second high school that I attended to take like the music class um, in my I think it was my tenth or eleventh grade. Like I had to be learning technically learning an instrument, and so I'm like, okay, well, I, I'm already singing, so I learned a few things, and obviously learned and sang some jazz numbers and things like that, but. 
even then I I don't think I technically even passed music because I couldn't read or write music I was just kind of getting by on memory um, memory and performance and those are the things that I use today because I still can't read or write music I can sort of write charts for myself because I have to you know take cues from something I'm not yeah I don't have a photographic memory but it's just a good memory and that's what's kind of gotten me by but yeah so I did take some vocal lessons and that was that's it so how did this transition to a professional uh, artist how did that go like what were those early um, days like hmm. there's a lot of steps like I've I've realized now um there was never sort of one moment that or a, like a clear path that I can look down, you know, my history and my where I've come from to go, that's where I came from. And that's how this all came together. I was songwriting. I was always playing live. I joined various, you know, corporate bands to play music and, you know, make a living. And I learned, uh, I suppose, how to interpret genre and style and what sort of constituted a, a hit song. And that I sort of applied that to my songwriting. I wrote songs for dance artists in Europe and um, R&B artists and I, I mean I wrote a lot of songs for a lot of people and like Australian Idol people while I was in Australia still and I suppose the professional I mean I was always professional but the professional level sort of jumped up a notch once I started to sort of click of I'm not achieving the things that I want to achieve as an artist in Australia um, all my favorite artists and all my favorite recording studios when you look through liner notes were all in America and predominantly in California in Los Angeles so I started I suppose at some point that became something in my conscious mind not just in my subconscious um, I started to put notes on my website of these are all the people I want to work with hi I'm highly irrational um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, that that became something that I I knew who I sort of wanted to work with and the sound that I wanted to sort of achieve. And one of the producers I actually wanted to work with, Howard Willing, I'd put on my website and a friend of his had seen my website and heard my music and was like, hey, you should check this girl out. And he reached out to me and was like, would you ever come out to Los Angeles to record? And, you know, he'd work with everyone from um, Counting Crows, Macy Gray, Cheryl Crow, OK Go, like this really eclectic bunch of great um, pop rock and singer songwriter type artists and I'm like well yes of course I would now I have a reason to what you know otherwise you're landing in LA and I'm gonna be a star <laughs> just like, that. like every Hollywood movie thinks that's how it works you just get a suitcase and hop on like a greyhound bus but for me it was you know I traveled over to Los Angeles on my dime and you know read the Californian handbook for driving and was like, okay, I'm getting off a very jet lagged long flight and driving on the wrong side of the car and the wrong side of the road in peak hour traffic on the 101 freeway. And this is not terrifying at all. That was part of my thing of just embracing that fear and the unknown and just going, this is uncomfortable because everything that you're doing that is, well, it's not necessarily comfortable, but I was, you know, playing all these regular gigs and doing regular work, but it wasn't giving me that outlet and desire and happiness that I really wanted but once I landed in LA to do um, some sessions with Howard and we were in you know in these amazing recording studios with amazing musicians and I ended up flying back again and then working out I need to be here like this is I saw how all those dots were connecting and all those liner notes I'd read for years all were 
real people and places in three dimensions. Oh my God. Um, so it, it became real. It wasn't just like when you're in another country and in another time zone as well, things seem so, I don't know, it's not disconnected, but it doesn't seem, I don't know, it's, it doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem like it's even like it's, oh, that's some other land far away. And that's, you know, you basically see that side of the world. You see America in through the eyes of like your phone or your television or whatever. And you're just like, that's just some other make-believe fairyland place. But once I was there and was like, this is how it works. These people are just in the room and this musician's just down the hall and you call them in for a session. And that once that clicked and I couldn't, it's like once I knew something, I couldn't unknow it. <laughs> <laughs> So going back to my life of these things that were comfortable just wasn't even a, well, it was, of course, it was an option, but it wasn't something that I could, I could accept anymore. I've seen my eyes are a bit more open. Okay, what else is there that I don't know? Um, so once I, that opened for me, it was like, okay, I moved to Los Angeles and worked out all the weird stuff with, you know, immigration and that's ace. That's a whole other, that's a whole other <laughs> interview. Super fun times. Um, but once I, you know, worked out how to be in a different country and work and I saw these people and these places and it was just, it just became like, oh, this is how things actually happen. I was in the wrong, not the wrong country, but like a different country for a really long time. And now I'm in a country that I feel like I could really create more and more opportunities out of nothing. Um, so that's, that's sort of the beginning of how things started. And, um, from then it became association and association. So when you first came over here um, and landed, it sounds like it was a mix of kind of excitement and opportunity. Um, what else were you experiencing or feeling at that time? Terror. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you're in a different, like a completely different place and things are unknown to you, like even just like I, my language skills, like I speak English, but in America, you speak American. So it means it means a certain word may mean a different thing. Uh, a certain phrase may not even exist in your country that I use in a common way or abbreviations that Australians all use because we're lazy. People were looking at me going like, like they're like, oh, I like what, and I could realize like they liked the sound of my voice, but they had no concept of what I was talking about. <laughs> so once I learned to sort of, interchange that word with this word and so forth it became I became less like a foreigner and more like okay I know I know how to do these things I know how to exist in another country and yes it, it, like there's there's not a large disconnect between Australia and America I get that I'm not saying it's it's not like landing in Japan or another or a completely different country with a very big language barrier but just those little things you know sort of jarred jarred me a little at first I was like oh <laughs> even just going to the grocery store was just like oh this is different this is different too oh driving's different all oh, these different road rules oh okay this is different too but once I got over that you know the little hiccups it, it became like well what what can I do here in America once I sort of started opening those doors and saying yes to different things and you know worked out did some gigs here and there and whatnot and then I suppose one of my first uh, big opportunities came through my producer, Howard Willing, was he was working with Glenn Campbell because um, he'd um, done a couple of records with him and he was doing the uh, Ghost on the Canvas record for Glenn Campbell and 
they brought him and Julian Raymond, who was also producing that at the time, um, brought me in to sing some background vocals for that record. And I'd also open a up a couple of acoustic shows for Glenn Campbell in um, uh, Nevada. And it just became like, oh, these, this, these things happen. Like, it, it, again, it's just that, oh, things, you, these people know these people that, that used to just be a name. Like, these iconic legends are real and... I mean, I felt super, super lucky. I was in very good company and I got, I was afforded a lot of great opportunities that um, in no way would be present in Australia. And um, I knew I was at every time, like one of those doors opened and something great happened. Um, I, I was like, okay, you, this struggle and this journey that you're on and the battle that you're, that you sort of you know, undertaking is all worth it. And like, I just got validated again and again, and again, with each time that something like that happened. And I was recording, I made my first sort of um, American EP and I had a, a, a UK a radio plugger reach out to me because I was in his American niche. <laughs> he reached out to me, again, an opportunity that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't in America. And he was um, publicizing songs to um, BBC Radio 2, which is national radio in the UK. And I got a couple of songs playlisted and more songs played. And I built a relationship with BBC Radio 2 from being an American import to them. And I, I booked myself some shows over in the UK. Like this is me on like my, whatever, my first, first or one, I've been there for a year, I think in America and, uh, you know, flew to the UK and, um, booked myself some acoustic shows and appeared on radio and did some things and was like, okay, you can do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I, I'm not, I was, I've never been cocky. I've been super grateful and I'm always kind of half in shock that things are happening the way they're happening. Um, so I suppose once that happened and another big thing happened after I um, released a, um, another uh, EP because I basically recorded a full album and broke it up into two EPs that was because I was a new artist and you, you know nobody wants a full album from someone they don't know um, and that's still kind of true today um, I did some crowdfunding and um, made my first uh, full-length uh, album and my producer was working with um, this guy Chris Christopherson I'm, I'm trying to just be blase and just be like you know, <laughs> oh, that guy <laughs> that guy um, and he was working with producer Don Was at the time, um, making an album wow. for, for Chris. And, and, and yeah, I had a song that I'd written. I always wanted like an older gentleman to sing it, like someone like Chris or Glenn Campbell. I always thought this is who, who this song is for. And that didn't happen because I didn't have a publisher and I still don't have a publisher. But I'm like, well, I'm going to record the song for my album because it's a great song and I believe in it and I don't care, it will get heard. Just you know, like you, you put the money down on the horse and go, go, you little pony. <laughs> um, so I bet on myself to, to add this song to my record. And once I did, yeah, Howard was working with um, Christopherson and, and it became like, does he want to sing some background vocals on this song? The song was called Penelope. And I thought, you know, this isn't going to happen. But the heavens parted that particular day, there was time in the session I wasn't there, but I wish I was, but at least I got sent some photos of Chris holding like the lyrics for what he's saying. And he apparently really liked the song and wanted to know who wrote it. And it was like, I did. And like, he's one of my songwriting icons. So that was a huge, like, 
thumbs up in my direction, even if it was, I wasn't there. I couldn't be there because he was making his album and it was just one of those, if there's enough times, if there's, you know, if he wants to do this song, if it's okay with, there was so many ifs that I didn't think it would actually happen and it did. So his background vocals were on that song. And again, after working with Glenn and then having Chris Christopherson, I'm like, well, what else? <laughs> like <laughs> these names again, like I, I don't say them lightly. And like when they're just written down in my bio, it's just like, and she did this and she did. And it's like, it doesn't, to me, it's like, these are all those, oh my God moments of, wow, these, these people, these icons, um, I'm able, I'm able to work with them. I've worked with them. I've toured or I've, I've recorded with them. Like it never fails to amaze me. Um, so after that happened, it became another one of those, okay, these things really happen here in America. It's like these, these opportunities, these people live here. And this is like the one degree of separation. It's no longer six degrees of separation. It's really, really amazing how those things work. Um, how were you feeling about kind of your skill set and, and what you brought to the table throughout all this? Great. <laughs> um, honestly, I still considered myself to be, a, I always considered my biggest skill to probably be my songwriting, then me as a vocalist, then me as a musician. And like I've been sort of not proven wrong, but proven that they've been as an equal advantage to each other throughout my career so far. Like it, I I never really bet on myself as like, I suppose it's because I grew up thinking like I'm the background singer, even though I've made albums and did things like I never sort of thought I can really sing this thing or I can sing like that singer or that singer. I can sing these soul songs or these blues songs until I get myself in a situation where I'm like, I'm going to do this. And then I'm like, Oh, I can. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. It's surprising. Um, but again, like everything, it's everything is a learning curve. And once I sort of realized, okay, you're a really good guitarist. You've got really good timing. I've played, you know, I'd played in Australia for, you know, as a live musician for, I suppose, almost 10 years before I moved to America. And that, that isn't for nothing. That definitely adds up. And once I had moved and had these, again, these huge successes that working with Glenn, working with Chris Doverson, opened up a show for the band America. I had these things and it just kept going. It became opportunity after opportunity. My producer at the time, Howard, um, who had also been working with the Smashing Pumpkins and he had a long standing relationship with, with them since, I think it would have been 99, um, since uh, the Machina era and Adore, um, which were some early, very successful records for them. Mm -hmm. um, he'd kept working with them and kept a long-standing relationship with them. And um, Billy Corgan was about to do a solo show at um, Ravinia Pavilion, which is in um, Illinois, well, it's out of Chicago, but it's close to Chicago in Illinois. And he reached out to Howard because he knew about me through that association. He was like, would she want to open up this show for me? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is an alternative icon of mine. I mean, I grew up listening to Pumpkins and Soundgarden and Stone yeah. Pilots. I grew up listening to big selection of grunge along with Soul Artists, along with my Aretha and Stevie Wonder and so forth. Like it was all, I, I fed myself a very large meal of a lot of different genres. Um, but that's one of those things where you're like, okay, my music's technically Americana and he's an alternative rock 
God, but this is going to work. It's just say yes, say yes, yes, yes. So I said, yes, I, I, I would love to do the show. I'll work out the how afterwards and what it is afterwards. Um, so I put together a couple of musicians in LA and we flew to um, uh, Illinois to do the show. And I threw in like a new order cover um, for the crowd. Cause I'm like, even if they don't get my music, like you still have to win over the crowd, no matter how good you think your songs are or whatever it is, you still have to play with the audience a little bit. And once I played something familiar to them that was of their, uh, I don't know, sonic uh, standard, I suppose, that what they really wanted to hear, it was like, she's okay. <laughs> I, guess you, I felt the audience shift. It was okay. one of those moments, like I've, I've been playing live for a long time. I know how to do that with the crowd but it was a very different moment because it was me playing my songs and realizing my songs and whatever I think my genre is on an acoustic level. When you scale something back, those genres kind of just vanish into the distance, into the ether. And what you're left with is the song, your performance and an emotional connection with the audience. And once you realize that and the audience sees that it's like, that's when you can make fans for life. And, some of those early shows that I did after that, um, the following year, which that show happened in 2014, and the following year being 2015, because I can count, excellent. Um, um, Billy was putting together a Smashing Pumpkins acoustic um, electro tour, and this was called In Plain Song. And his sort of goal for it was to play acoustic, some songs, some songs that would be more um, electronica, and some stuff that was sort of semi-banned, but still sort of scaled back. Um, and he asked me if I wanted to open up that tour. And again, I was just like, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, please, yes. As casual as I can't be. Um, and again, very, I'm lucky, I'm aware of that. I'm not, yeah, I'm not foolish in that respect. But I knew I was going to be exposed to more of these fans and, this was a real opportunity because once you're literally in front of the audience sharing your music, you're winning the audience over at the same time, but you're also, I don't know, exposing them to something that they're not expecting to. So it can be good or it can be mm -hmm. terrible. Like it, those shows could be great or they could just, I could have just been like the wrong fit for the wrong thing, but it was a very fruitful tour. I was also asked to play, some bass with the band during that particular tour. So it became me doing my opening set, running out to the merch area, waving at people, high-fiving people, signing a few things, then, you know, getting my butt back onto the stage to play some, play some bass with the band. And I can play bass because I can play guitar and that's how that instrument works. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a learning curve for me. I learnt that those fans were my fans and they were going to stick with me through my career. Cause as we did the next tour, which was a larger leg of the same tour, they brought back the original drummer, Jimmy Chamberlain and James Eha came back, who was the original guitarist to play some of the key shows in LA, Chicago and New York. And we played the Ryman of like, in, I'm from now. I mean, I live in Nashville now, but like Nashville was something that I just started to travel over to Nashville to write songs and, I knew the rhyme and I knew that that was kind of like the mother church of songwriters and yeah. country music. And we got to play that show. And I was singing lead for a couple of songs during the Smashing Pumpkins show because he wanted me to sing some songs. Um, so I got to sing, I got to sing and play in some of these 
just iconic venues on that tour. And that was when I was just like, and again, this was stuff that I didn't know if I could do. I didn't know, could I really play bass for these songs? Could I play with these rock legends? Am I on their level musically? No, but can I keep up? Yes. Can you learn quickly? Yes. You know, I, I sort of worked out what's my what's my skill set. I'm a very strong singer. I can I can carry what Billy does as a vocalist um, in a way that I don't know if other people have done for him before because I know how to play my role and support like supporting actress role. It's letting him shine and singing with him, not over him, and not at him. So it's I know how to do that because I grew up doing that. But playing that particular tour was like one of those eye-opening things of I never thought I'd get to do this. If I never get to do anything like this again, that's cool. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, you come to terms with that every time you're given an opportunity like that, or if you're ever given an opportunity like that, I've been given a few. Um, and that tour was a very successful tour that led to a much larger tour Hence the bigger photos with the, with the big crowds. We did an arena tour in um, 2018. That's it. That's, that's the tour. Um, the crowds looked like that, I think, most nights in most of the cities. And um, when you're not sure what a large arena crowd looks like, you get onto the stage and you go, oh. <laughs> Do I remember any of the songs I've been rehearsing for months? <laughs> that you know, that happens to you, then you get over it. And like I've I've never really been one to have stage fright. And yes, there's I got I got some mementos after um, doing that particular arena tour. I got um, one of the big iconic things was yes that picture there that there's a Tiffany box that each member that, of, that was playing in the, in the band that night received from um, Madison Square Garden. It was a sold out show. And it's the first Tiffany box of anything I've received. So <laughs> I, I understand like it's, it's like Madison Square Garden wants to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, one, it was definitely that moment of, of oh, I'm, I've got, I'm getting some, you know, I'm getting some praise from the venues as well as from, um, you know, the, the fans that are showing up. But once we did that arena tour, I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I want to backtrack just a, a couple of months um, before that arena tour started. I had been recording my, um, my EP, um, it's called Things That Break Part One. And I wasn't quite ready to release it, but once I... Um, knew I was embarking on that particular tour I was like I have to do something like as my career is doing what it's doing I'm about to be in front of arena people <laughs> <laughs> not just not just like my you know a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand fans in each in each state or city it's like okay there's thousands of people that are going to be sitting in front of me or standing in front of me that probably know who I am by now what can I do about this so I did some pre-release um, copies and um, Billy Corgan was gracious enough. He suggested, he's like, well, do you want to sell them with our merch? And I was just like, I think I said, yes. I think words came out at the time and I was probably <laughs> like, trying to be casual. Do people ever say no to the questions you get asked? I mean, I feel like saying yes is just, that's a. But it's, but it was like, are you, you know, are you sure you, you mean like, not that my, my, 
merch is going to compete with like you know buying the the tour merch for the band of course not but it was just the the concept of being able to you know fans going oh she's the she and she's on stage and that's her thing and I'll get the thing (laughs) able to make that association is killer so I was lucky enough to sell that on that tour and at the time I think I put out a single um, time on my hands which I had this long story but I'll I'll wrap up the story I just have a video coming out for that song that was released back then on that tour I've got that coming out next month Um, I had some delays in production I had an incredible director Linda Strawberry um, who who did all the all the production video for the Pumpkins tour and she's just this incredible visual artist but we shot a video on that tour and it just took it just had some delays in getting getting done but I've put out various videos um you know since since I put out the EP but that particular video never came out so it's it's actually coming out next month um but I put out that song time on my hands while I was on that tour at the start of that tour um managed to get my merch you know fast tracked um through production and got it into I think it was only after like the first week of shows got it into the venues and started selling it I was like okay another thing I didn't think I could do which is just like the business of how to make put those things together and make them great. Don't just like put out a thing and be like, here's my stuff. <laughs> it looks mas- It looks like I made it myself. <laughs> I, like I've always wanted to be that person that I look like I've got professional everything. I look like I've got, you know, the label, the management, everybody. I've got this huge team of people that happens to mostly be just me. Um, but I'm a, big, I'm a big advocate for don't put something out until it's like the right quality and the right time and the right thing. And again, I had the right thing and the right time and the right quality and just had to kind of fast track making all those things work in the um, uh, the schedule that I had in front of me that was a new schedule. I hadn't planned to release the stuff yet, but ended up putting that out and it did quite well. And I got some good praise and some good press, um, which was great. And I was getting press from people like American Songwriter and the different sort of country and Americana sort of outlets, but I was also getting press from um, the alternative nation and blabbermouth and all the like all the alternative wow. music because they knew who I was too so yeah. it was it was really interesting to sort of engage um just these various audiences totally different audiences but they were both sort of unified and in, in going oh this is a, I like this so I, I mean it was incredible to yeah to see that sort of work yeah very interesting so it's interesting because you know by and right just getting on that insanely large stage with a very well-known group could be like one person's like I've made it this is this is it this is success and here it sounds like you're also saying yeah but I, I want not necessarily more but I want my own success here too or there's something else that I want to do here can you talk about that a little bit oh absolutely I mean I I'm not, firstly, I'm not, I'm not sort of delusional in the sense to be like, well, I'm playing this arena tour. Um, I could also play an arena tour. Like I, I see like the singer songwriters in Americana artists of sort of my ilk and songwriting style and like my go-to of one day I wish I could play this venue would always be something like if I could play the rhyme and something like that and have my own show sell out at a venue of that size and that sort of establishment. Um, Yeah, it just doesn't, I mean, I don't think it really happens. Like I know Chris Stapleton is sort of 
managed to mm-hmm. miraculously fly with his beard of wings into that sort of position. <laughs> I don't know how, how that one sort of took place, but, you know, I, I don't see it. It's not a common occurrence and there isn't a pathway to play those huge venues in my genre. It just doesn't exist so much, but that's fine with me. I've, I've taken it and taken it like I've, I've, I've done this thing. I've achieved this bucket list check and this thing. And, you know, I've now done an arena tour. What's, what's next for me? So I continued to um, uh, publicize my music after that particular tour ended and put out, um, I think I put out a video of mine called Graceland, um, middle, that would have been, yeah, middle of, middle of the year um, of last year. And that would have been, no, that would have been just after we did the European tour. We, I ended up going back on tour with the, with the Pumpkins and we did, um, very large scale European tour and again I'm publicizing my music and I'm like uh, you know again thinking I not already I don't suppose I'd already thought if I never get to tour again if I never get to whatever that's cool I've done all these things um but we played yeah there's a, look there's a Europe and there's a Europe um <laughs> we played well we played two months of festival and uh show dates and the festival dates were like some of those enormous crowds and we played, I think most of the big festivals were, you know, 45,000 or over. Uh, some of them were like 70,000. Nossa Live, I think, was in Austria. Um, and then we played 100,000 at Download Festival. And these are like iconic festivals. Like I thought I knew what like a big crowd looked like. <laughs> but then again, you get out on the, and like, I'm, you know, you get used to what a big crowd looks like. You're not okay with it but you're used to it um but then you see a crowd like that where it's literally an ocean of people and you're like and it's got its own sound like it comes with its own soundtrack of just like it's just this this white noise of sound um and that's amazing too because you also don't get the playing those types of vessels you don't get like the luxury of having like these leisurely sound checks that you do at playing your own shows you you have like a the people that are setting up your sound do like line checks and whatever. And you basically just get like a check in your microphone is I mean, in your, in your ears, like in your, in your I've got in ears at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, somebody just basically says, Hey, Katie, you got me. And I'm like, yep. Yep. And then you walk out and play <laughs> like, no, nothing. You just walk out there and you're like, hello, tens of thousands of people. So was that um, breathtaking? Yes, it's breath stealing because you're like, <laughs> <laughs> um, unbelievable. Like you can't prepare yourself for what that is. You really, you really cannot. Um, and festivals, it's like you're also in the open air, so you're dealing with whatever the heat or cold is of the day, and those are other variables that change from show to show. And those are things that I hadn't really anticipated. And you know cold hands or sweating and it's just like one of the it's like one or the other we had you know it's wildly different from show to show and we did a lot of traveling and a lot of trekking back and forth across Europe to play these shows and in the middle of those festival and show dates there was a um, a two-week break and in that two-week break it wasn't really a break it was when Billy was doing his solo European tour which I opened up for um and I have to say, like, aside from doing, like, a couple of those big shows were, like, big to me, but I loved that solo tour. We played, I think it was, you know, two, it was two weeks or two and a half weeks across, um, was, yeah, 
a bunch of a bunch of Europe. It was pretty much everything that we just covered in different ways because it was Ireland and Scotland and uh, Italy and where else do we go? France, um, Germany, Luxembourg. Like it was. I mean, all in all, the entire European tour for both the band and the solo stuff, I had visited 17 countries. Wow. <laughs> if that sort of measures it. So, I mean, I worked it out like that year, I'd, I'd basically traveled to 19 countries because you've got to count Canada and America. But during the um, two-week window of the solo tour, I, that's, again, like that's my jam. Playing the solo shows in front of people, having that emotional connection, telling a story. I made so many new fans. I mean, they already knew who I was. I'd also sang previously on um, Billy Corgan's solo record, Cotillions, and um, the fans knew of that because, uh, you know, they they watch everything that he's doing because they love, <laughs> they love him. He's an incredible songwriter, incredible artist, and I was opening up shows for him to basically showcase his new record and also play um, some of his hits as well, and I made great deal of fans and I went out once or twice during each night of each show to say hi to fans, sign stuff, sign paper, high five people, take photos. I just wanted to be as personal as, as I could, personable as I could and just make those connections because they've bothered to come out to see a show whether they're not necessarily there to see me. Some of them knew who I was but they've taken the effort to come out. I want to make sure that it's worth it for them that I can show them another side of me and say hi. Um, that's easy, to me, that's easy to do. It's easy to be nice. Even if you're tired and whatever, it's like that's, you know, whatever, a few minutes out of your life, big deal. So I made a lot of new fans that particular tour, um, that people that kept in touch with me that just got, just got what I was doing because me playing my so stuff, opening up for Billy doing his solo stuff, which tends to be a little bit more folk and Americana-oriented, um, yeah, it just is. Um, I sang on the the actual record for his um, Cotillions thing um, and he had me come out and sing a couple of songs with him during those shows too. So again, like I got that sort of real luxury and benefit and wonderful joy to be able to open up a show, join him on stage and the fans got to see those two sides of me of, oh, that's her as an artist and that's her as the, you know, as a you know side musician, even though I was just singing with him. But they got to go, oh, okay, that's also what she does too. What and, were and, some, sorry to interrupt, what were, um, were you, I, let me say it this way, you know, you explained just how much this is, right? Like the, how much time it is, travel, all that. Were you doing anything throughout this period to make sure that each day you're kind of showing up as, as your best? Yes and no. <laughs> there was so much travel involved in this tour uh, and we'd already been playing, we'd already been rehearsing in Germany for, I don't know, whatever it was, a month prior. Then we did a bunch of shows and then we go right into the solo tour and all you could do is try and get enough sleep, try and eat well. You know, I didn't drink. I, I just just tried to be as healthy as possible and like I still you know I didn't tell fans or whatever but I still got sick on tour I still you know I had injuries like everyone has stuff that they don't share with the public but you battle through it and when you step onto that stage you basically just leave that behind and you show people the best version of you and make it look easy like that's the best I mean I don't know who who so I'm sure somebody gave me that advice at one point but 
that's that's been something I've always tried to um I don't know just remember if if you can make it look easy then you're doing your job um so I I suppose yeah just trying to eat well trying to sleep you know sometimes it was just like lots of bus rides here and there and on the solo tour we were taking it was just like an SUV to this place and this place and you know we'd finish the shows at like midnight or whatever and then drive for like an hour or two to the next whatever location some midway point to something and then I mean, all the touring is that pretty much playing the show, then driving a few hours somewhere, checking into a hotel for a few hours. It's it's weeks and weeks of broken sleep. Um, so you have to know that that is going to be the case and prepare for it and try and just, yeah, just drink all of the, like literally all of the water. <laughs> is, is touring dreadful? It's just, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard um, physically, emotionally and and you just have to, you know that it's going to be that way. So you just have to prepare for it. You can't fight it. You can't be like, oh, I want things to be this, this and this. It's just not going to be that way. And it's it's a luxury to have like the buses is, is great. Like you, I, after the show, you get on the bus, you sit down, like, I, you know, make a cup of tea, whatever it is that you do. And then try and sleep for a few hours before you check into the hotel and then try and sleep for a few more hours. Um Earplugs were my trick there. Earplugs and a face mask. <laughs> Earplugs go in, face mask on, and just because it helps me shut out like the world, just to try and otherwise you're thinking about stuff still. Earplugs make me think like I'm underwater and like mm. just, just, just okay. It's okay. You're underwater. Nothing's working out for you. Just pass out. Um, so that was kind of my, my trick of how to sort of just get to sleep because sleep is obviously the most important part of touring. You can prepare all you want, rehearse all you want, sing, sing, drink water. But if you haven't had sleep, you're kind of hosed. Um, but that's kind of the, again, like those are the things I know to prepare for. So though I do those things. Um, and yeah, I'm okay with it. It's hard, but I'm okay with it. So what do you view as the keys to your success? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly... I, my work ethic is always just to show up, be early, um, be nice, make friends, um, speak when spoken to. And if your opinion isn't warranted, like don't bring your issues to the table. Like kind of what I was saying, like when you get onto stage, like no matter what you think you're going through that day or physically or emotionally or whatever it is that you think you're going through, that, that gets left aside to step onto stage. And it's the same with being in a working environment, whether you're in the studio, whether you're on stage, in a rehearsal space with other musicians, in a songwriting room, writing a song, basically leave your issues aside and just be present and be nice and be grateful for the place that you're in and the position that you're in. Because, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think that I'm the only person that can do this job. I think there's, I mean, you, you turn onto any of those talent shows on telly and you're like, that person's amazing and that person's amazing. But I'm in a position where I've worked hard to know my craft. I know how to do business. I know how to basically not be a disaster. <laughs> I don't know if, if, there's, if you can get a degree in that. But uh, I suppose it's just, yeah, just trying to be a professional in every sense of the word. Um, aside from your skill level, like if you don't have the skills to whether it's be a songwriter or a touring musician or a session vocalist or whatever the various things that I do are like why you're there in the first place so you're there because you've got these skills now that you are here 
be a professional. Like it's so easy to be nice to everyone. It's like in my in the studio, like when I've worked with um, you know, session musicians that have come in from my sessions or session vocalists that have come in. I've had gospel singers come in and sing on my stuff, which I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. Because um, it is. You know, I always try and be super gracious that they're there. They're spending their time to you know, better my songs and bring their talent to the table. And if they have a good time, they're going to perform better. If they're treated well, they're going to do their job better. Like I, I really try and try and remember that it doesn't matter what I'm, what I'm doing, but just, yeah, just try and just try and not be terrible <laughs> to people. <laughs> just be nice, be nice, be gracious and yeah, show up on time, all that stuff. You have, um, so you do do a lot of different things. Do you, do you like that? That's how it's ended up. Like, is that, is that something you're like, yeah, this is, this is the career. That's just amazing. I wouldn't have wanted to specialize in one thing. Um, I don't, honestly, I really haven't thought about it in that sort of sense. I've just continued to do what I do again. Like, as I said earlier, not one single thing has led me down this particular path. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm on one path or I'm on various paths that just happen to be going in the same direction. I don't know. I don't have, I've got one set of legs. Like I don't have like, <laughs> you get what I'm saying though. Um, so, I mean, I've always continued just to learn to say yes to the right things or just to things that are exciting and new or things that I haven't done before. Um, I mean, yeah, I've just tried to just continue to do these things. If I can do the thing and if it's right and it fits what I'm doing, just, just do it. What's the, you know, if you can, why not? Like, as I said, I still do sessions. I still, you know, still play, play gigs. I play gigs for myself or for other people. I record stuff for other people. Still, I write songs and I tour and I have my recording career. And it's, I don't think if one specific thing really took off and again, if I'm touring and I have no other time to do anything else, um, I don't, even then, I, don't, I can't even finish that sentence because even when I am on tour, I'm still you know, taking down notes. I'm not writing as many songs, but I'm taking down ideas, knowing that when I do have the time, this will make sense to me. But I was still doing, you know, backstage, you know, sessions for my YouTube channel and things like that. And for Instagram and socials, I still managed to take the time after shows to post clips or say hi to fans or do Q&As to keep people engaged in the thing that I'm doing at the moment or the thing that's exciting to me. And I don't know, again, it's like what, if you don't engage with your, your fans, if you're a recording artist or whatever, it's <laughs> what's the, what's the point? You know, this is your audience. You've, you've got to give them something that they're interested in or something that they don't know they're going to be interested in. Um, I've always just tried to keep those connections going. Um, yeah. Keep up. Yeah. Keep up all the various things. It sounds like it also feeds you that it gives you energy to to do all those things. In a in a way, it gives me f- focus and it keeps it keeps structure in my life. Sometimes I like I know that I've, I'm doing. Sometimes it is doing too many things at the mm-hmm. same time because I get tired or I've just got too many things that I've um, agreed to sort of take on. But I know I can do it. Like if things are too much or it's just you know, it's again, like now we're working from home and we're in this sort of weird sort of moment, like having structure and and setting goals for yourself. Even if your goal is just to like, I'm going to put big people pants on today. (laughs) (laughs) For the first time. Some goals 
goals, exactly. Some goals are just not achievable on that particular day. But doing these things still and like, again, like upkeep for whether it's, you know, my YouTube channel or just things like, I just want to keep people, you know, engaged in things. I've been doing some live concerts on stage at, um, just to keep fans not only engaged, but give them something to listen to. And I've been taking requests and like my one that's coming up, I'm taking requests for like movie songs. I'm just trying to do something fun as well. Again, performing is something that is relatively easy for me to do. And if I can give give back and give people something to tune into that's high quality, that's a good experience, that they're going to have a good time and just forget. Well, not they're not going to forget where they are because I know they're in their living room or whatever. <laughs> but just forget like, the worries of the world and like have a moment of sort of escapism that is an amazing sort of thing that I I know I can still do so I still try to do things like that and yeah so what have you learned about yourself throughout your journey I can do a lot more than I think I can do um in terms of whether it's a skill level or just tasks um the things that I've said yes to throughout my career aren't always things that I think I can do but I think I might be able to do. Um, and that's, it's a gamble <laughs> to say, to, to, I, I do understand as a gamble to say, oh, yes, I will do this thing and I'm not sure if I can do it. Um, every time I've had that sort of feeling in my gut, it's just fear. And I suppose part of me knows you can do that. Like you're, you've got enough skill, you've got enough willpower. Um, again, I know I've got a good memory. I know I can, remember things like great that's that's great but when it comes to learning songs and learning cues and things like that like that's that's a really useful uh skill set to be able to just go on autopilot because my brain will remember um even if I'm stressed or I look at a crowd of like yeah whatever it is 50,000 people and you're like like autopilot will kick in and be like okay play this part <laughs> play this part um because again like I switched from playing bass with the Smashing Pumpkins to then playing keys for them and Again, like I play keys. Uh, I, mean, I grew up, you know, self-taught on piano and self-taught on guitar. And like, I, I know I can, but it's not like I can just, you know, in Nashville, like everyone reads charts and it's all this stuff, you know, they're all numbers and weird things. And I'm like, it just looks like some sort of weird chemistry jargon to me. I look at it and I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but for me, like, I know I can, like, I know I can do these things. Um, it just takes practice. And once I've practiced, I'm fine. Um, but yeah, I've, I've learned that I can do a lot more. Um, it's surprising. When you just told that story, uh, it brought the question to mind. You've met a lot of legends now. Um, does does the excitement, not the excitement, does the, oh my gosh, I'm standing in front of a legend. Does that, is it a case by case basis or does that does it just blanketly cover every legend from now on that you've met so many? No, it's still exciting. Honestly, it's, I mean, every time I've met somebody that is of acclaim or somebody I really look up to, and you know, Billy Corgan's one of those people. I, I don't think you ever, I don't know. I don't ever take it for granted. I don't, I don't know. And I don't know, like if I'd, if I've been in a position where I'd sold like, you know, 40 million records and, if I'm responsible for this massive career myself, maybe I will be standing next to certain legends and thinking, oh, I'm your equal. But I don't think, I don't know, I don't think like that. I'm just like, I'm just grateful to meet somebody that I think is really, really talented. And what can I learn? 
you know, I'm more on that sort of side of things. What can I learn from you? And just, again, I'm like what I sort of started to say before or a bit earlier on was just, just to be present and listen and be in the moment because sometimes we can just be in a room with somebody that's achieved a lot or just is really wise in a lot of ways because of those things and just, just shut up and listen. <laughs> if you shut up and listen, people will tell you almost everything you want to know. So what advice would you give an aspiring singer, songwriter? It's a lot of hard work. <laughs> be prepared to, yeah, be told no and to be let down. And, you know, you have to know that not, nothing that anyone else can say to you should change your mind. Like if what they're saying to you is making you change your mind about what you're doing, then your mind is already changed. Mm. It wasn't them. It was you already knowing this certain thing, but there's, you know, there's just so much hard work. There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Um, none of, none of being creative, no matter what field you're in, whether it's, yeah, I suppose music or entertainment or acting or anything like that. Nothing about being a creative is like, here's my set path and I get retirement <laughs> funds with blah, blah, blah. It doesn't, it's not, it's nothing to, sit back and there's, there's no career path that you, you do this thing and you go learn this thing and then you do this thing and you're you're rewarded no it's you being creative and for me what i've learned over the years um the probably the biggest thing that i mean nobody taught me it just it's you know it came from just learning is be creative if things aren't working out work out another way to do it if things aren't working in terms of whether it's uh uh, music release like you spent all your energy creatively in the studio well it's like well now be creative with what you're doing with marketing what's creative about the way that you can show people the thing that you really believe in like you need to be creative in the different ways that you can be which is sometimes using your creativity for again marketing or social media or like I now do graphics I now do all these other things because I know I have to if I don't do all these other things that for instance if I make this incredible recording. Like I, I make recordings that I'm really, really proud of. If I don't put a video to it, no one will hear it because you can't, you can't people listen with their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't show you like a photograph that you're, that's sort of engaging or makes you ask questions and you want to know where that's from, like even just those concert photos, like I try and I try and show people like the best photo of the concert because you know fans post all these photos from mm -hmm. shows. Doesn't matter where I've been playing, whatever. But I'll always share like the photos that I think best represent the moment to be like, wow, you know, that's how I felt or that's what I saw from an audience perspective. Like to show people the best version of the thing, and that's another thing. Like to, sh to you know to share with upcoming um, creative people. Like present yourself as the best possible version of yourself. I'm not saying be disingenuous, but I'm saying show people, again, make it look easy, make it look like you're already successful, you're already doing these things and you're worth investing in, whether it's emotionally or financially. And if, if you can do that, then people will feel comfortable sharing their time with you, sharing their money with you, buying, coming to a concert, hanging out with you, investing in you in all those ways. Have you ever happened to feel that you were faking it or that you were a fraud? No, no, because I'm not, I've never been anything other than myself. Mm. I just have to edit out like, and not, I, I don't like show people like, 
you know, for instance, I'm, I'm just trying to say like on social media, I, I, it's just the best way to describe things because that's how we sort of communicate with most people or the, or the audience or whatever. I'm not going to share the photo of me that where I've just woken up and like my hair's a disaster, my makeup's all smushed <laughs> or like one of my false eyelashes is like stuck to my cheek somewhere or whatever. I'm not sharing that photo. I'm going to share a photo of something that I think represents the moment, whether it's in the recording studio or after I've done like a live session like this, um, I'm going to show people like, this is the real, this is the real me. Like you don't need to, like nobody cares about like what I ate for breakfast. I'm not going to share a photo of my, my eggs. <laughs> like, <laughs> unless it's literally amazing. And I will say, I did share one photo in Italy of um, like a ravioli that I got because it was like, it was my one day off. I think I'd walked to town. I think I was in Bologna and I was like, ravioli, glass of red wine. Like that's a photo I'm okay to share. I'm in the right place with the right thing. And it's like the right time and that's happening. But people want to show, see something of you that's engaging and that's creative or fun or in the moment, but they want to see you. And the only way to sh show people really who you really are is to show you, you know, for me, to show you like what's going on. Like, this is my life right now. I'm not going to show you the photo of me like setting up <laughs> sometimes candid's funny and sometimes candid is great like if you can get like the photo of of like sort of the side shot of me while the makeup artist is doing my makeup or something like that's i don't mind those sorts of candid like behind the scenes things but when it's behind the scenes as in like hi this is me in sweatpants i've worn these for two days in a row you know, nobody cares about that. That's not showing your best self. And I don't think that's being disingenuous. I think it's just knowing what to show people out of your life, out of the, like the 24 hours in the day, that solid golden hour, show them that. It sounds like that's reflective of how you approach, you know, your music and being on stage is in part trying to really be true to you and but also considerate of these people you're playing for and what they want or need or how to connect and make give them an experience oh yeah yeah but most i mean honestly when i'm on stage as, as a touring musician with some with someone else it's about them mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not there for me going this is my moment <laughs> i'm enjoying it i'm participating in the moment and you know I've, I've referenced this in other interviews i've done I'm kind of a tourist in the moment at the same time but I'm also participating, I'm there. And this moment is also happening because I'm there. But, you know, it's that balance. It's not about me, I'm there, <laughs> but it's not about me. Um, it's about the audience and it's about the band and just make that the best possible thing. Then after you get off stage, then you can share with the audience and, and not necessarily make it about you, but share your insight into what it was like being in that moment. Yeah. And then be like, you know, and then people sometimes want to know, well, what else are you doing? And then that's when I can share my music. So you mentioned earlier that um, some of music ability might be a gift. Um, and a lot of our research over the years has, over the last almost two decades, we've looked at, uh, we've studied a lot of expertise. Um, and so the kind of the old debate of nature versus nurture, there's often the extreme view on one end that we're born with something and and that's all that matters. An extreme view on the other end would be um, that what you're born with does not matter at all. It's all what you do. And then there's everything in the middle. Um, out of curiosity, kind of what percentage would you give to each of those uh, polar ends? I mean, you have to put it in the deadline in the middle. 
I think you're born, you're born with something. There's no doubt I was born with a, a gift because even from the youngest age, both me and my sister had um, gifts with singing. Um, we were both, you know, technically pitch perfect, blah, blah, blah. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It just means, oh, you can sing a note. Well done. <laughs> but me learning and going through and playing all those shows, playing thousands of shows um, live and uh, learning my craft, learning my skill and actually using it like, strengthening the muscle in my voice, strengthening the muscles in my hands to play guitar, um, all of those things, um, learning again, what constitutes a hit song, how to play a hit song, how those chord progressions sound, what's the difference between playing this on the guitar here with this capo fret on this thing and how it sounds and oh, that's the right chord. It's not just that chord, it's that chord played in that way. Like I can hear that difference because I learned through Again, learning song after song after song after song and playing those songs after song after song. I think it's just as much one as the other. You can't, yeah, it's not one simple thing. You couldn't have one without the other. But it's, I, I, I'd put it right down the line. It's, it's a skill you're born with, but if you don't spend the time to um, respect it, practice, get better at it, learn what you're downfalls may be or what you may be skilled naturally at and in within that like the microcosm of that gift or whatever um then it's just a gift and you can just be like i'm great but it's like you're not great <laughs> <laughs> well all that you described there that you put into it i can tell that it's a i would argue maybe even a little more than 50 percent what you put into it that's a a lot that you don't really normally think about even yeah totally <laughs> Is there anything that we haven't asked that you feel is important to your story? Um, I suppose, uh, yeah, yeah, there is. That's all. <laughs> I think um, being, I think being away from my family, like being away from my mom and my sister, my mom has gone through various health problems. Um, it's been excruciating being away from her. Um, knowing I'm in a different country doing this thing that again, it's, you know, it, you want to say living the dream, whatever um, people are like, I don't know what that means, but I am kind of trying to live out this, you know, this never happens to people story. Um, trying to follow a path that I'm trying to forge at the same time as following it. Um, it's, it's really challenging, but being away from um, people that I really care about friends and family is very, very difficult. Um, it's a sacrifice, but um, it's hard to it's hard to know what is you know pain versus pleasure, et cetera, et cetera. It's just I'm I'm sacrificing time with them to do this thing, but obviously if I needed to be back in Australia, like my family and everybody knows, like if, if they need me to be somewhere or whatever, I will drop everything in a heartbeat to go be where I need to be, um, just because it means a lot to me. But just the, the the time away and the emotional strain is. It's challenging. Uh, it's challenging being um, in a different country just as a simple thing, but then it's very challenging being on a tour. Like I've been on tours where my mum's going through radiation treatments and at the moment she's going through chemo and it's like, I'm not there. And like right now, it's like I, all my touring's been canceled. So that would be an ideal time to travel back to Australia, but I can't because, yeah, this, yeah. because this pandemic is what it is. So it's just it's just a challenge but it's knowing timing's timing for a reason when the time's right when things are safe then i can i can do what i need to do um but i just try and be grateful for the experiences that i've got and when i do get to spend time with friends and family 
I'm really grateful for that time because I love them and I wouldn't be who I am without them. Um, and if you don't have, you know, people or animals or whatever it is to love in your life, then all of this stuff is just stuff, you know. Well, all the best to your mom for healing. Thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate that very much. Uh, and what would you say is the biggest takeaway from your story? I don't, you just never know. I think I, I, it's so simple to say that, but you don't know what your life is really going to be. Like it's that sort of never say never in a way. Um, you don't know what your life's really going to be until you sort of put your head down or kick, dig your heels in and go for it. You don't know what you can really achieve until you've achieved it or achieved it and then surpassed the thing that you thought you really couldn't do. Um, I think it's just, you know, tr I mean, hard work is one thing, but just, I don't know. I just have tried to just not say no to a lot of things, like just try and be open to the possibility that maybe I don't know um, as much about myself as I thought I did. Maybe I don't know if I can do this thing that I'm agreeing to do, but maybe I can. Um, just trying to be open to possibilities because, you know, you, you just never know. <laughs> you are certainly living proof of that. <laughs> so I have a side question that might get ed edited out, uh, depending on how many people have asked you this, but have you happened to meet the other Australian, uh, Keith Urban? I did. I did. Yeah. I actually, um, a girlfriend of mine a few years ago um, got married and um, she was marrying someone that um, used to play in his band. So um, it was one of those things where, you know, band members were there. Keith was there with Nicole and I got to meet them both. And, you know, she's gorgeous and she just looks like a statue of just beauty. And it's just, he's lovely too. He was super nice. And I mean, yeah, it's, it, everything you would expect from those, those two people, like him and Nicole were just, just super nice down to earth folks. And yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been very fortunate to, as, especially being in Nashville, like you kind of just, a lot of the country music legends and things like that are just seem to be very approachable people. Well, Katie, um, I want to thank you for being with us today. Your story is an outstanding story and uh, I hope the listeners will go check out your site if they haven't already and uh, your music. And again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much for having me. <laughs> thank you. It was amazing to listen to your story. Thanks guys. Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by the Path Distilled, all rights reserved.